Welcome to the Dental Amigos podcast with Dr. Paul Goodman and attorney Rob Montgomery, taking you behind the scenes of the dental business world, all the things you didn't learn in dental school but wish you had. Rob is not a dentist and Paul is not a lawyer, but since Rob is a lawyer, we need to tell you that this podcast is for informational purposes only and shouldn't be considered legal advice. Listening to this podcast does not and will not create an attorney-client relationship. As is always the case, you should formally consult with legal counsel before proceeding with any legal matter. Learn more about The Dental Amigos at www.thedentalamigos.com. And now, here are The Dental Amigos. All right, it's good to have the head Nacho back in the house. Welcome, amigo. Hey, Rob. Looking forward to another great episode. Big news to announce, too, right? Yeah, we have an exciting announcement. Uh, the first Dental Amigo C conference, Friday, March 9th to Saturday, March 10th, featuring dentistry's hottest speaker, Dr. Corey Glenn. So, yeah, when you say the first CE conference for the Dental Amigos, that's the first since we started doing a podcast. But we've We've done CE events before, and you, Paul, are the uh, the CE king in the Philadelphia area for sure. Oh, th- thanks, Rob. It's, it's one of my passions, CE, and picking out a great menu for people. So that is that is my thing. You do it well. Uh, and we always have a good time, too. And um, we've got some good people uh, lined up for our event. We're going to do it at the Historic Union League and right here on Broad Street, a few blocks from, uh, from the office where we did an event last year. And I think this one's going to be even better. Uh, so anybody uh, who's in Philadelphia, definitely come. And if you're not from Philadelphia, we'd love to have you. We've got a good deal in a room block at the Union League, so uh, it's a good excuse to come to Philadelphia and uh, mingle with some dentists and uh, take on some good CE and, and see the town. Yeah, you can, you can be part of movie history where Dan Aykroyd and Eddie Murphy film, film Trading Places. So check out thedentalamigos.com for more information and tickets. Sounds good. Now, uh, how about we continue our conversation on navigating the dental broker world? What I find amazing is, and I hope we get a lot of different dentists of all ages uh, listening to our podcast, that sellers could interview more than one broker. It's very interesting. They, the seller has worked on this practice. It's been the, their child or another version of their child for 40 years. They sell it. They go to one meeting. They meet one broker, and that's the only way they ever think about selling their practice. And sometimes they just get in a bad situation where I know, and you know, uh, when a buyer comes to us and they're dealing with a certain brokerage company, it's going to be a challenge. Sometimes it's going to be a total non-workable situation. Yeah, well, and (laughs) and, and brokers are, you know, are advisors to the seller. And, you know, you have, I think to your point, you have to choose your advisor well, because if if you're going to rely on them to say, is this a good deal? Or is what the buyer is asking for in this regard? Is that commercially reasonable? Is it the norm? You want somebody that, that gets it, yeah. that's somebody that's out there in, in the world, and they're going to give you good advice so that you can sell your practice. Not necessarily tell you everything you want to hear. Right. That's a different story. Or tell you things that make it more, uh, you know, make the practice uh, more, uh, you know, uh, greater interest to people. But uh, you have to choose your advisor well. I think what's important is that, and I'm learning this because I bought practices, I'm selling practices, I look for other practices myself, and I think the biggest problem brokers have with the sellers, and I guess I understand it from a sales perspective. So this, at the end of the day, is a sales-type job. It's sort of, I was a server for 10 years, so I guess you could call that a sales job too, but I've never been in this world in that 
they will mismanage the seller's expectations right up front as to what the practice is worth and what the value is going to be. So it gets them excited. And I think they know in their broker's heart that it's probably not going to sell for that price, but the seller's happy and engages them and lists and they know down the line, the bait and switch, yeah, yeah, the 800 is going to turn to 500 or, or that 800 is 600, but that seller never forgets that first number. So Bob Septic, who works for me, he's trained me very well and I, I, I appreciate it because we, we dig into the numbers. He tells me about the valuation and he talks about it in a way that I go back to the seller and say, hey, this million dollar practice, we're going to ask asking price of $750,000. However, based on all your numerics and your financials, if you get an offer of six fifty, dollars it's a good offer. And I say that right up front to the seller and, and they never forget that first conversation. So obviously they hope that they get the highest price. Anybody would want that. But also, I think one of the misconceptions out there of it being a seller's market, it can be it can be favorable to sellers in certain areas, but you still need that one person to purchase your practice. And it's it's not exactly like a home. Well, this is an important point. It's not like where there's an open house for a home and a real estate agent brings by 20 people at 10th and Spruce and shows people the house. It's, it's a labor-intensive process to even see a practice. So that's why the sellers think, oh, the broker told me I'm going to list this practice and it's going to sell in two weeks. And it's just, it's mismanaged. In the nicest way possible, I can say it, it's really mismanaging their expectations and sets the whole situation up for a lot of challenges on both ends. Well, not to mention too, even if it's a seller's market, it doesn't mean you could sell it for whatever price you feel right, like. Yeah. At the end of the day, the buyer still, you have to find a buyer and that buyer more than likely has to get financing. Right, so yeah. if you think your practice is worth 50% more than, than it really is, you're not going to be able to sell it. And then you run into the same situation that you do when you're trying to sell your house for the wrong price, which right. is that practice has been on the market for a year. Right, know, yeah. There must be something wrong yeah, with the it. People's, you know? You know, it's, it, yeah, people will say that to me now, though. People, what, buyers you know, will, will pass on a practice. And I'll tell them sometimes in a totally genuine way, this is a good opportunity for you. And you know, there's five buyers for this practice, and I think someone's going to buy this practice. And I think you should be one of them. And I'm, it's not a sales trick. It's me. I'm, I teach residents. I teach younger dentists. I mean, I feel um, genuinely like I want to help them. And they'll say, they'll pick out one piece of the practice they don't like that could usually be changed. And they say, I pass. And then two months go by and that same buyer calls me back on the phone and say, hey, does that their practice ever sell? And I said, yeah, it's it's under contract now. And they go, oh, I should have, I should have, uh, I should have put that offer in. I said, I, I told you you should have put that offer in. So it, it cuts both ways. But I think the management of the expectation on both ends, and there's a lot of good podcasts out there now and other information. Hopefully we can make some changes in this world ourselves because I think it would be really valuable for people's stress level, I think for people's understanding of this process because it's just a lot of misinformation out there on the whole process. And that that's what I found to be causing a lot of the, I guess, broker broker work on my end. You know, it's, right. it's, it, you know. So, but the, the interesting thing he said is, you know, why do people just go and hire bad brokers? And, and you know, I'd never really thought of that before. And uh, so it sounds like what you see is somebody's going to kind of inflate expectations as to what the sale price is, is one of the things. Yeah. I have to wonder too, that it's just human nature too, that, you know, like how many people do you feel like, right. you know, it's just laziness. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I met her, she was giving the seminar, she seemed fine, I'll just hire yeah, her, right. you know? Yeah. And, and, you know, as by virtue of, you know, we're talking about this and it's an important topic, is it really does matter what broker you, you hire. I mean, this is not just like hiring an order taker. This I, is somebody totally, that has to really 
present and, and, and promote your practice. And, you know, it's in, this is such an, a valuable thing to talk about. From the seller or the buyer, but mainly the seller, you're going to spend a fair amount of time talking, texting, and emailing with this person. You better like and I, Yeah, and I've developed quite the relationship. I, I have a deal going on now where I want to go back to my Verizon and, and dig out how many text messages we've sent, because I think it will be like trying to figure out the jelly beans in a jar, and it'll be like way more than what you thought. So the seller and the broker, you know, and the, you know, what's interesting as a dentist, I'm 40 now, I can develop, I have a red flag mechanism when I'm stealing patients. And I can say, oh, this person's gonna be a tough customer, I'm gonna refer her on to a specialist. I don't have all those mechanisms as a broker yet, so I'm like a new dentist where I have taken on some possible sellers I might not take on in the future. And I've learned, learned that myself because it's a true relationship. And then the seller, you know, that's, that's another thing too, you see, I mean, it's just like anyone else. I'm being asked, if I have to get my paperwork together for financing with Bank of America, it's a big process. And if I get it together, I'm probably going to use Bank of America. I'm just using an example. So when this seller gets all their stuff together, you're right. They're probably not going to go and bring it to another broker. So they should better just to choose wisely up front. And I would give dentists a lot of credit if I heard them say, you know what, I interviewed another broker, I'm interviewing you, here's what I had to say. I would really give that dentist, I would think they're really doing some good diligence on the process. Yeah, yeah, I think it's important. Yeah. So Paul, um, let's, uh, let's shift gears a little bit. Uh, subject that both uh, you and I have discussed a lot and we've talked about with, with a lot of our colleagues in the space the uh, the issue of dual representation. <laughs> yeah, what do we think about dual representation? Well, first of all, as a, as a I will have to I want to be honest as a as a dental consumer prior to meeting Rob Montgomery and prior to doing all of these things, it sounded good to me, right? Because for the dental customer, whether you're the buyer or the seller, there's a the word itself sounds like I'm going to save money on some legal fees. And who doesn't like saving <laughs> yeah, right, money? Right, right. Who does, so I said, but there's a catch. And now that I've dug into this world, so there's different versions of this in the brokerage world. And, and you're really the expert, but I'll talk both as a broker and a, and a dental purchaser myself. You know, there's some dual representation. Uh, brokerage companies where they really work for the seller and they charge the buyer a modest fee for bringing them this practice. Our company only charges the seller a fee. There's no fee to the buyer. We were, I always say this to, the, this is a good point, I say this to the, to the buyer. I work for the seller, I work with you. So one of the things I wanted to spell right off the bat is, there's, and maybe you know people have learned the hard way, maybe I'm unaware of all, unaware of all these situations where they say, the broker is just gonna inflate the price so the seller gets the best deal. Well. If they did that all the time, they would never sell any practices. Right. So they have to, I have to work with the buyer. Many times in some of these transactions, I spend 10x talking to the buyer versus the seller. Sometimes the seller said, here's my stuff, bring me the guy. I set him up to see the guy, but I'm talking mainly to the buyer. So You're promoting the practice. Yeah, That's so I, I'm working with the buyer. So even though the buyer, in, in, under United Dental Brokers, scenario, I get paid zero dollars from the buyer, but we work together a lot and we work, we are talking, I'm connecting people, but we're not a dual representation brokerage firm. Dual representation to me is sometimes in the, in a somewhat of a more benign sense, they charge a modest fee to not, the buyer. Well, modest is, that's... Uh, well, it turns, turns out with one company, we pay, I'll, I'll be honest with us, we paid a five, there was a practice near us in a desirable area, it's our satellite, and we paid a $5,000 fee okay. to the company, and that was it. That's and modest. I thought it was a little bit of a vigorous, 
And I thought it was just a little, to be honest, a little greedy. Okay. However, I maybe I would fight this today if I was doing my next satellite and say I'm not paying it because I know that that broker is getting the commission from the seller. But I paid it. I was younger, and it didn't. It wasn't a huge deal to me. But what is right. a huge deal is other companies where they will make the buyer pay essentially a percentage of what the seller's commission should be. Well, 3% is the number that we say, which can be a lot of money. Yeah, so if people, that's a really huge deal because I'm coaching someone now through one of these transitions with one of these companies doing it. And I- Coaching, you're on the buyer side. On the buyer side, I'm on the buyer side, I'm coaching him. And the asking price, we're just gonna say the asking price is $800,000. I said, based on the numerics, it's too much. I said, you should offer 675. I said, also, you should offer 675 if I was selling the practice. I'll even give them, he has to, this, this person, if he bought the practice, let's say they get the $700,000, he has to pay a $21,000 vigorous to purchase this practice. So you have to really actually incorporate that into your letter of intent and what you offer. Sure, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's the cost of acquiring the practice. Right. Because unless you're just gonna write a check uh, from your bank account for 21 grand, that's gonna be part of the loan. And, and I mean, you know, since this is our uh, talking real stuff on tra- practice transitions here, I find that they're very, you know, the best way to put it is that I, in this buyer coaching, I'm doing two situations with two brokerage companies. One is dual representation, one is not. But the dual representation, the, the broker's acting a little bit like a bully because there's the broker saying that you can only use our banks, which isn't even a thing, right? So that's that to me is crazy. They say that we do not negotiate on the purchase price. Again, that doesn't make real sense, but they're they're trying to paint this somewhat naive buyer into a corner. And I, I guess they found that the strategies work. I mean, you've worked with them, so does this work? I mean, they're in business doing it, so. Yeah, well, it depends what your business model is. You know, do you wanna have a, a business model that helps people succeed and yeah. you put buyers and sellers together for good transitions? Or, you know, are you interested in just trying to, you know, make as much money off the deal as you possibly can? Yeah. Uh, you know, to me, the whole concept of dual representation means you are representing both sides. Right. And, and when somebody who is a dual representation broker tells a buyer that I am your representative, that means something right. from a fiduciary standpoint. I, you know, I'm a lawyer, yeah. right? I can't represent the buyer and a seller. So you said it's just as simple as not being able to serve two masters. So it's, it's, a, it's total conflict. It's a complete entire, conflict. Yeah. The whole thing too, I mean, to some extent, what we see is the whole, the broker industry and the dental world is sort of modeled after the real estate uh, industry in terms of commissions and sales and listings and things like that, which is fine most of the time. But one thing that people have to keep in mind, in most states, brokers are not regulated. So Paul, you have a license, you have a state board of dentistry. I have a license. I have to deal with a bar association or the state Supreme Court. Uh, Architects, physicians, vets, all these people have uh, a state board and they have regs and rules that they have to follow. Even realtors do, you know? And so, but when it comes to dental brokers, there are no rules and regulations. I mean, they can do whatever they want. And so even in the real estate world where this whole dual representation thing was created, uh, I have, I'm skeptical about that. Because what they've done is they've taken what is a legal concept of fiduciary duty and turned it on its head right. to make it seem like you can have two masters. In the law, you can't have a fiduciary duty to people whose 
interests are divergent. And the most state laws for realtors carve out an exception for that. And there are certain requirements. There's a reason why if you're going to work with a dual agent in most states to buy a, buy a house, for example, there's a form that says disclosure, big you know, capital letters at right. the top. You are hiring us. We represent both sides. You should go talk to your own person and right. know that you know, you know, we're not your representative only and things you tell us we can share with the other side. You know, I, I don't see that uh, the practice brokers who are dual representation uh, brokers do that. It's a good point because even getting back to my situation, I probably, where we, I paid the modest fee, uh, I did get grief from the broker about bringing their contracts to my attorney, which I don't think was fair because, you know, the dual representation broker really does try to keep everybody else out. And it's, you know, I think it's really just only to the buyer's risk because I, the seller seems to be sitting there possibly getting the top purchase price and getting everything. I mean, maybe the seller is at risk from a legal perspective. I don't know. Not as much. You're yeah. absolutely right. I mean, so. the dual representation, the impact and the risk of that is definitely more on the buyer. Just like in any deal, in any acquisition, most of the risk is on the buyer. I mean, yeah. if, if you are a seller, what do you care about? Right. You care about that you get your purchase price. You care that there's nothing in the agreement that's going to come back to surprise right. you after the fact. And that the covenant not to compete is consistent with what your plan is after the sale. One of the things I think would be good to bring up at this dual representation part to help manage the expectations of buyers is, you know, they really need to think about, if you're thinking about buying a practice, you need to think about setting up a savings account for yourself or earmarking funds because you're going to have to hire your own team of advisors that's well worth it because sometimes, I'll just use a number, it's well worth it to pay $10,000 not to lose a million dollars. So Absolutely. It's, it, and I think that's one of the... I think, and I, I understand you go through dental school, you have debt, it's challenging, and you're looking to save, but sometimes, you know, the adage, penny wise, dollar foolish really comes to, comes into mind because, you know, we've worked together with connecting people to each other many times, and I, I always feel good about connecting people to you because I know they're taken care of, and I've done them a service. I, what you might not realize is whether it's an employment contract, whether it's somebody to buy a practice, I have to, it's interesting, dentists will spend... $20,000 learning a new procedure in their office, and they're not even sure if this procedure is a good risk or can make them any money. However, if I then say, I need you to spend half of that getting some good legal advice, sometimes it's accounting advice, it could be anything, they don't see the value in it, and it takes me real convincing, but they're, I've never had anyone come back to me, which is amazing, and it's a testament to you and your team, and also hopefully other people in this space. I've never had anyone complain afterwards that they engaged a professional. They may say it was an expense that they hadn't planned for, but they're always happy because what you know what I what I use as my buyer coaching, which is a lot of times we're just sounding boards for these people going through the baby process of their dental life. You know, they want to have a sounding board. I mean, this is a perfect example. I'll share my own. You know, when we had our child, we hired a doula to be there when we got home. My my best friend, who's just a brilliant guy, he's a hedge fund guy in New York, and he has four kids, and I always thought of him as the most confident, competent person I knew on the planet. 
and when he had his first child six years before me, he goes, it's really scary. They give you this child and they say, just go home with it. You know, and I used to think you got all these licenses. You Am I checked be, out on yeah, this one? Yeah, yeah. You want to be a barista at Starbucks? You got to pass a test. A child? Yeah. Don't just just continue on. You sure. Be, yeah. I'm so, with this, so it's or? actually a really to me, it's nuts. I mean, it's just a nuts part of our society. It seems to work out well. I know, unfortunately, it doesn't always work out well. But they do just let you go home with these these children. So I said, when that happens to me, I'm going to hire this doula who's going to be with us for two weeks, and she's going to be there every other night. And it made it, it was well worth the security of having somebody who deals with babies all the time. Neither of us had in-laws that were gonna be there with us all the time. And I said to myself, this is the most important thing I'm, I'm doing, right? And I'm gonna bring this seven pound child home and I want someone there to make me feel better about the process. And that's what these buyers should think about when they're doing these transitions because there's so many parts to it. They need people like that, the Rob Montgomery's, the buyer coaches, the accountants. And I think there's a lack of Nowhere in our dental school lives do they tell us to do this. You and I are, work at, uh, I bring you into Temple and Einstein to at least talk about employment contracts. And a good point to bring out now in the buyer world is I will talk to somebody who wants to buy a practice in this location at this place. And all I simply say to them is, do you have any restrictions with your restrictive covenant? And they say, I don't know. Let me check, which is a bad answer because that means they've never, never really looked at their contract and likely a, a lawyer hasn't. Right. And then they come back and now they're 35 years old, they bought a, a home, they have two kids, and they have a contract that doesn't even allow them to buy a practice within 10 miles of where they are. So I mean, there's, there's a, just a need for buyer representation, and that's why the dual representation, the buyers can really get taken for a proverbial ride. Well, yeah, and there's so much more that the buyer has to look <laughs> yeah. for than, than the seller, and the buyer's the one that needs the protection. And look, no offense, Paul, you know, yeah. my friend and client, yeah. um, but anybody who's a buyer buying a practice who just relies on what the broker tells them on the other side is, is really kidding themselves. Oh, They're I totally agree. They're setting themselves up for, for a huge problem. And I know you talk to the people in that situation and tell them, you have to go talk to a lawyer. And, you know, because you're, you're really, you're an honorable guy and uh, you're not trying to, to flam people. But there are a lot of brokers out there that will be more than happy to give that kind of advice and say, yeah, yeah, you're fine. You know, And you have to, as a buyer, you need to be working with a team that's willing to tell you this is not good. You know, Whether you know, it's your, uh, your lawyer, your CPA, somebody that's, that has your interest in mind, first, foremost, and solely. I totally you know? agree. And, you know, not and 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 even you know with with the broker even the ones that are good you know look there's a, as you said Paul you represent the seller you know and and you're getting paid because the transaction closes and it's I guess I realize and I'm I'm sort of proud and happy to be giving this inside information because Alan Mead from Dental Hacks when he first met me he said why are you a broker are you disabled are you retired did you lose your license I said no none of those things he goes because that's the only dentist I know are brokers and, and you know that's not always fair because there are some good dentists to sure. brokers but most most dentists are not practicing and doing brokering to some degree most so I have a unique well you have 27 hours yeah yeah day, right thanks Paul, I mean, is, I've got you know, the extra thanks I appreciate it yeah. 4.30 yeah, the, in the, the morning, good, the yeah, dental yeah. nachos being like, <laughs> yeah, when yeah, does this yeah, man yeah, sleep? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, I, I know. It, it, does. it looks more glamorous than it is, but I really am happy to be this insider person here because what I will tell you, even doing this for 18 months, and I like being a broker, and I feel like it's going to be part of my life. It fits into everything that I like to do with helping and talking to dentists, but the brokers have way too much power 
But it's a lot like, if we're our listeners, it's like the general dentist has a lot of power over the patient. The general dentist sees Rob and his family all the time, and when it's time for your daughter to get braces, I can tell you, go to Dr. Smith two blocks away. He is the best guy around to go to, and you're gonna go because you've known me for th 30 years. Now, in the broker world, it's not as dramatic, but I'm the one who develops the relationship with everybody. I'm the one who answers the questions. I'm the one that's around, so I develop this power much like if I came home and the doula said, do 10 jumping jacks so your daughter sleeps, I would just be doing them. And it would just be kooky talk, like Kramer says. So it's really amazing. And it, I, I, I wield that power responsibly a lot of times because I'm doing a deal right now, which is pretty amazing. You know, even though what do I like to dispel is the broker has to get the deal done or else nothing good happens, right? Nobody gets paid. No one gets a practice. And a lot of time gets wasted. So, you know, I will a lot of times provide referrals and recommendations for everybody in the entire process attorneys for both people, banks, accountants, consultants, but that power can be used, I guess, for evil too. So it's a, uh, it's an, it's very interesting. Dentists, I think, because they have no idea really what's going on, so to speak. So they have this one person who they know and that person can direct them in different ways. Oh yeah. And, and look, part of the problem with dual representation too, aside from dual representation in and of itself is problematic, is the way that the brokers who are engaged in that conduct themselves. And, right. and then so it's not just that they're dual representatives, they also prepare the agreements, right. you know? And, uh, you know, we've seen uh, promotional materials from some, of these, uh, from some of these brokers that actually make it seem like it's a good thing. Like, hey, you don't have to pay a lawyer to, uh, to be involved in this transaction. We'll prepare the documents. And, you know, it says in the, in the forms and the disclosures, you should show this to your attorney, but they discourage them. Right, from, from they discourage me to do it when I bought the practice. Right, you know, and so the, the reality is, you know, they're representing both sides and, and preparing legal documents, for which you can imagine, Paul, drives right. us crazy right, as yeah. lawyers. Because, you know, a lot of people, I think, have a misconception that, well, whatever you put in the document, just put something in and it doesn't matter, you know, it's boilerplate, give me the standard right, asset yeah. purchase agreement. Like, yeah, we start with a standard asset purchase agreement, but we make changes to it. And it's not even just the document itself. I mean, that's just like the, the Scrivener part of our job. There's also the, the, the counseling and the advisory component of what we yeah. do, which is where we're telling people, this is a problem. Here's what you need to do. Here's what you need to look at. These are the things that you should be doing now. You know, the, the, the quote unquote, the mere document is just part of what we do. But even from a document standpoint, you shouldn't have one person preparing, negotiating, and advising both sides on the document. It's impossible. It's like saying, you know, if you ran into somebody, you know, and, and we're, you know, we're in Philadelphia, and I'm going to throw you under the bus, Paul, <laughs> you know, which I, I learned in one of the podcasts that you did that, that you're a Giants fan. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah. But, sorry for all that success, but it's okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah, well, not recently. <laughs> and, uh, so, but it's like if you meet somebody and they're like, yeah, uh, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an NFL fan. Well, who are your, who are your favorite? Who's your team? Well, I like the Eagles and the Giants. Like, yeah, really? Yeah, right. Yeah. Yes, exactly. What's up yes. with you? you yeah, know? So like, that's a really excellent point. That, that's not possible. Yeah, I'm going to use know? that. That's, that's a, that brings me, I mean, I have a lot of Rob Montgomeryisms, which I use repurpose. I don't know if I'm allowed to or not, but I do it anyway. And they're, they're great catchphrases about, I mean, one is, you know, if, if people are unreasonable up front, they rarely get more reasonable. So that's important. So I say that to both the buyer and the seller a lot of times, because if there's a situation where someone's super unreasonable about some point right off the bat. It's usually going to be a non-workable situation. But what's important is, and what I've learned from watching you and your team, 
is your goal is to get the deal done. And like you said, there's not supposed to be a winner and a loser because that's not a good transition. So you wouldn't have a lot of clients if you never got deals done. So I think there's this, the broker sometimes makes it seem if you bring it to your own attorney, well, they're just going to mess up the whole thing for you. But you, that's not, you would have no motive to not help someone get their practice. Your motive so is to true. be responsible. You're basically trying to be, you know, get the deal done responsibly. But that, you know, but that's like, you know, people are able to trade in fear. You know, right, if you're yeah. a broker that's trying to keep lawyers out, what are you going to tell both sides? You know, yeah. you have to come up with something that make it seem like it's bad for them. And you're absolutely right. I mean, and, may, and there are some lawyers that, that try to quote unquote win in a transaction. Right. That's not our style. I mean, we're not out to, to prove that we can get certain things or that we can pull one over on the other side right. or, or set these little booby traps for the other side because it's not productive for our client. Our client comes to us because they want to buy a dental practice, for example. We're going to help them buy a dental practice. And we're going to try to do whatever we can to make that deal work without exposing them to unnecessary risk. You know, and in a dental transition, which we'll call it that again, or a partnership or a marriage or anything, uh, any kind of relationship, any relationship where there's a winner and a loser is a relationship that's doomed to fail. Yeah, it's 100% true. And this happens, we, you've, you've helped us, and I, I have two wonderful associates. I had three, and you write the agreements for them. And I mean, of people listening, I hope they run and get their agreements if they have one, or at least consider having you look at them. We put something on Dental Nachos about how many dentists have even had an employment agreement looked at, and unfortunately, very, like, few, very right? few. And that's Crazy. a tremendous risk for the when they want to buy the practice. And uh, when I do agreements with you and your team, and I, I want them to be, fair to the people signing the agreement. I just want it to be a responsible, you know, responsible document that manages both of our expectations. And I know we're not going to delve into agreements now, but I, I think it's just an important starter point or important practicing point for dentists to just get used to reading things, talking to an attorney, learning about the industry. And if they align themselves with the right people, sometimes that comes back to help them tremendously later when a, an attorney like yourself knows of a practice being sold or, right. You know, well, you know a banker doing that. So I, I think there's a reluctance for these dentists to build the relationship. Maybe for our next podcast, we can talk about building the team and how that helps you because I think it's just important to start engaging people in all different aspects well before you want to buy the practice. Absolutely. You know? Well, it's the same thing whether you're hiring a lawyer or a CPA or hiring a broker. You should interview those people and make your, you know, uh, your thoughts you know, known to them. Let them know what your goals are, what your objectives are. And, and tell them, like, look, my, my deal here is I want to sell this practice in a, in a fair way and I want a fair contract. You know, don't go and seek out a lawyer that's going to try to, to basically pull the wool over the eyes of the other side. Right. You know, that's, if, you know, there, you can't say, and again, a lot of the dual representation brokers are able to trade in that fear that if you get a lawyer involved, they're just going to make it, you know, acrimonious and it's going to be expensive and go back and forth lots of times and spend money. No, yeah. a good lawyer doesn't do that. Are there lawyers out there that would do it? There are quote unquote bad lawyers? Sure. Right. But that doesn't mean that all lawyers are bad and that because of that, you should just accept whatever advice your dual representation agent tells right. you or gives you. So, you know, don't, uh, you know, don't kill the ant with the elephant. It's dog. also another point. Go like find a good lawyer. Out, you know, when you're 40, like me, and you have all these things going on. Like you don't even. I'm just very. My catchphrase is, "I'm too busy to be successful." So like, I don't know where I'm at with all the things I'm doing, but I'm doing a lot of different things, right? So I'm I'm exploring new projects right now. There's 
dentists, they want to buy 10 practices. I say, well, start with one practice, then two practices. You'll get to 10 one day, but it's a big road to get to. So that's another point of what you do is that, you know, for a first time buyer, you might be, they might be spending money for you to say, hey, this is not the situation you want to be in. And that's very worthwhile, right? Where they would quote unquote, potentially lose money or risk their financial future. But people like myself, let's say 35 to 50 year old people, 35 years who are, have practices, have income, but we want to do other things, right? It's also we're paying someone like yourself to protect us from being really annoyed for the next 10 years. Because sometimes, you know, you'll say, you know, someone probably comes to you and say, I want to buy this other practice. I have two practices. And it's just not a good decision. It's not even always a bad financial decision. It could be a bad energy use for the dentist. So I think it's just the things that you can bring to the table to help these dentists are just, I think they're totally unaware that people like you are out there doing that. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, Thanks for listening to another great podcast with The Dental Amigos. And don't forget to tune in next time to have the dental business demystified. If you're looking for more information about today's podcast, you can find it on thedentalamigos.com. If you're looking for Paul, you can find Paul at drpaulgoodman.com. And if you're looking for Rob, you can find him at yourdentallawyer.com. This podcast has been sponsored by Orange Line Media Group, helping dentists and other professionals create content people love. Find out how we can help you take your business to the next level at www.orangelinemg.com. Till next time.